Hello, my favorite human being. It's your favorite caffeinated, medicated, and never hydrated nurse, Nurse John. And you are listening to your favorite therapy podcast, I Beg Your Pardon. <laughs> and welcome back, you guys. And I hope you guys are staying caffeinated just like I am with my new favorite addiction. It's called Rice Fuel. This drink has about 200 milligrams of caffeine that keeps me energized all throughout the day. And I can tell you right now, I can drink at least four of these in one single day. You know why? Because they have so many different flavor. Four of my favorite flavors right now is this Sunny D, Cool Aid, Smarties, and their Peach Cooler. And there's so many more flavors. So I would suggest to you right now that you should go to Google and find RYSE Fuel Locator so you can find your nearest rice fuel drink. And like I said, I hope you're staying caffeinated, medicated, and hydrated. And hopefully you have replied to your friends and family who's been texting you because you haven't replied to them for a long time, right? <laughs> and this episode is going to make your blood boil brain itch, laugh, cry, scream, because this episode is all about what is something a patient has told you that left you shocked? How's that? <laughs> so get ready wherever you are listening right now, in your car, at work, at home, with friends, while walking, while jogging, whatever you're doing, let's get into this episode. And again, this episode is full of real life experiences from people. So you should watch out for my Instagram story because I ask you guys a bunch of questions whenever I film an episode and it's all different kind of things which you can share, which helps you relieve all of those traumatic events and find other people people who have been through the same thing and helps you feel less alone in this situation, okay? So let's start this episode. First, submission. Haunted nursing home? Who knows? I used to work for a nursing home that was formerly an orphanage. Oh my god, anything <laughs> anything orphanage, an old factory, you already know there's something going on in that. I have heard stories in passing of patients and residents saying that they have seen kids running, oh my god, we're starting with kids already? Around the hall or have talked to some kids in their room. One day, I had a resident call me to her room and told me, can you please tell the little boy to be quiet? He won't stop talking. And I replied, what little boy? I do not see a little boy. And the resident say, that little boy behind, ah, behind you, he's looking at you. No, I am running. I don't care what she needs. I am not. First of all, I believe my patients, no matter how old they are, to whatever they're telling me. Or whatever they're seeing because it's true okay oh my god i felt my hair on the back of my neck and i never ran out of that room so fast good girl i went back to the nurse's station and told them what happened and my co-worker just laughed at me and your co-workers never told you that there are kids running around the hospital no way no effing way okay so the thing is older patients really do see people things and other stuff that we don't see and it's just like it's so scary for me because it happened to my grandpa and what i noticed is like whenever a patient is close to dying they always see like relatives that they have not seen before or relatives that have died from really like long time ago and it's always true because i have been with many patients plus my grandpa who have had the same experience so for me i do believe them like they're not crazy sure so there's some confusion in there the sickness is getting into them but at the same time whatever they're seeing is true because my grandpa when he was close to dying he would tell us that there is two ladies and a guy in the window waving at him asking him if he wants to go with them and whenever we ask him who are those people he would not tell us he was just telling me they want me to go with them and oh my god my <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm getting goosebumps. Oh, it, it just icks me because how is this like, first of all, like before, I don't want to believe ghosts. With all of this experience from like patients and my grandpa, I'm like, it's true. They do exist. But the thing is, how don't we see them? How are they seeing them? You know what I mean? So I'm still like super curious on how this happens. And I'm not asking to see any ghosts or kids or a white lady. No, I don't want to see none of those. But it's just that how is their third eye open i guess they're vulnerable because they're like dying but still like just thinking about it i could never sleep on an empty patient room because of this like let's say we don't have enough beds to sleep because usually in a hospital when you do night shift you have to go on your break right so you sleep you take a nap and then you will find either reclining chair in the break room or if there's an empty patient's room which a lot of other nurses do they do sleep in those beds which i can never because i've seen way too many patients who have died on that bed or like just thinking about it like how many people have died in this bed and i'm literally using the same covers the same no no i cannot and i feel like they're just standing there while i'm sleeping and they're looking at me they're like oh my god this is my nurse and imagine they just like start whispering in your no oh my god i'm so scared i'm so scared anyways if you guys have had this experience i don't know how you guys deal with it but when i do night shift i have a rosary in my little pouch just in case okay i could never Ooh, i'm i'm, I'm shaking oh so many goosebumps if your co-workers did not tell you that this happened before they're not your friends they're not <laughs> they're not good for you they're red flags they're letting you experience the traumatic stuff okay this is not good but good thing that you ran and i hope you did not take a break and you stayed in the nursing station because girl they're watching you the kids they're waiting for you next i was a student nurse and the junior doctor called me in to help while he did a rectal exam on a patient the patient was in his 90s very deaf and hilariously funny i just adored him so i got him onto his side once the doctor got his consent and started talking to him all of a sudden the doctor started the exam and the patient went wide-eyed and shouted oh i hope that's your finger up my ass doctor <laughs> the doctor who happened to be a lovely quiet religious catholic guy look at me in horror while i'm shaking with laughter <laughs> and reassuring the patient that all is well oh my god that is so funny <laughs> i have done fecal disimpaction so fecal disimpaction is like let's say you've tried all of this medication that can evacuate patients like poo like bowel movement if the patient is constipated sometimes it's hard so you give the medication to help them release those three four five even a week poo but sometimes you have to manually disimpact them meaning that you have to use your own finger and get that poo out of them so they feel better and i have done that and i'm telling you sometimes it's so crazy because the patient is like you can put more finger <coughs> like hun putting two is not gonna be enough and i'm just like why would you say that okay moving on hi i work in a cardiac cat lab and while reviewing some medication with a patient who was post STEMI, i asked if they are familiar with nitro spray nitro spray is something you spray under your tongue to help let's say you're having a STEMI. so let me just pull out the what is a STEMI. i know the definition of a STEMI, but i want to give you guys a definition for the people who doesn't know what STEMI is STEMI, STEMI, a heart attack with a completely blocked coronary artery is a STEMI. So it's almost like a feeling of a heart attack, okay? So for the people who's not in medical field and listening to this, a STEMI is like a heart attack. And you spray those nitro under your tongue 
three times. I think once you spray it for the first five minutes. And then the second, if it doesn't go away, you spray it again. And before the third, you call 911 for rescue. And then while after you call 911, you spray the third again. Correct me if I'm wrong for all the people who has been dealing with nitro spray. But yeah, so it helps to relieve the pounding headache. Anyways, a little pharmacology in there. Sorry if my my information is rusty. I asked if they are familiar with the nitro spray. They replied, yes, of course. They use it at home. I asked how frequently and the response was, I use it most evenings to, oh my God, to fall asleep. I spray about five continuous spray under my tongue and just pass out. Okay, so a little education. You're not supposed to get more than three times of this medication. So this medication basically brings down your blood pressure because your blood pressure goes up when you have a heart attack during a STEMI attack, okay? And this medication helps to like bring it from like 200 to let's say 150, 140, 100. And it can even bring it so low that you can pass out. Three is the maximum, okay? More than three, you're gonna pass the hell out. And this patient has given herself every single evening five continuous per- Oh God. I said, you're not falling asleep. You're actually bottoming out with no pressure. Oh my God, this is so dangerous, you guys. Some patient really, uh, even though how many times you explain to them how medication works, because me, where I worked before in transplant, we usually write them down in a paper with the pill color or the spray color and the definition, the date, the time you should be taking this so that they can remember it because just telling it to them sometimes doesn't work. And the worst is, let's say a doctor or a pharmacist explain it to them really quickly and they don't understand and they just agree like, yeah, I know how to use it. And they come home and don't do research and just keep giving them some, oh my God, this is so dangerous. That's why patient education is very important, you guys. Repeat it three, four times and make sure if the patient is in their senior years, you include like a paper that has a picture, the date, the time, instruction on how are they going to give this to themselves and when they should give it to themselves because sometimes they would just do whatever. And this is a lot of the cost of like overdose, ER admission because some patients don't really know how to use their medication even with explanation. So just be careful. This is crazy. I would be left on shock. I'm shocked with this. I don't know how she did it but she thinks this is melatonin. <laughs> she uses <laughs> She's like, oh my god, I feel so good. Oh my god, my fourth spray? I can see stars right now. <laughs> yeah, girl, because your blood pressure is probably 40. 40 over 20. <laughs> oh my god. They could have died from this. It's not funny. But at the same time, you're just like, what? <laughs> Next. My patient last night was hitting on my C. I hate this. My patient last night was hitting on my CNA. Some of the creepiest thing he said were, I have a thing for brunettes and you just have that classic Oh my God. Your boyfriend is so lucky. And where do you hang out outside of work? Security. Call security right now. No, we're not taking harassment. We're not taking sexual comments. No, from no one. When lab came in to say they were going to poke him to get a blood, he just said, ooh, me likey. This is harassment i would call a male nurse or i would get security or i would press code white violent patient again code white in my unit is violent this is not right you don't let anyone to sexually harass you or say this kind of comments to you because this is not right and stop offering your service to them because you can refuse it to those kind of people no 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 me likey Mm -mm. next 
I was working night shift at a skilled nursing facility and was asked to translate for a Spanish-speaking patient. It was around 3 a.m. and the patient wouldn't go to sleep. When I asked her why, she told me that there was a little girl. Oh, another kid. I don't know why they keep seeing kids. Why are these kids in an adult unit? Why don't you guys go to the pediatric I'm so sorry to the pediatric nurses, but like put the kids with the kids and keep the adults with us. Let the the guy, the six foot four guy in a black suit stay with us. <laughs> Honestly, I'll take the kid over the six foot four guy in the bathroom. Honestly, but like why kids? Why are they playing at 3 a.m.? Why are they listen? Do you guys believe in the witching hour? Because it'd be real. It is real. Between like 3 to 4 is the 3 to 4 a.m. is the most dangerous time to be walking around checking your patient that's why I do my rounds at 2 and then at 5 again because after 2 listen you hear some beds you hear some people walking some people talking Uh uh-uh I am not gonna engage I stay in my nursing station and you know what I do I listen to gospels (laughs) that's all you can do and you read bible verse because sometimes Okay, sorry. I cut I cut the whole story off. There was a little girl sitting on her bed and that's why she wasn't going to her bed. I asked her who the little girl was and she said she didn't know but didn't want to disturb her. She then asked me to help her to the bathroom so I did. Girl, I wouldn't even go there. I was like, you do you, girl. If there's a kid in your room, you deal with that. I'm not going there. Next thing you're telling me, the little girl is in my back. No, absolutely not. Have you guys seen that movie? It's called Shudder. It's like, I think, a Thailandese horror movie where this guy abused a girl after that she died. And then after 20 years, he got married to another girl. And then he started feeling this back pain and neck pain. And then no matter what they did x-ray CD scan they cannot figure it out but it keeps getting heavy and more painful for him and then he did took a Polaroid picture of him and then when it came out it showed that the girl that they abused was on his back the whole you guys have to watch it it the movie is called shutter it's crazy she then asked me to help her to the bathroom so i did she then grabbed her walker and threw it at the mirror which ended up shattering into pieces i asked her why she did that and she said it's because the little girl's mom was standing behind her and she wanted to be left alone I'm sorry, you guys. Continue to the monitor, senora and ghost little girl Q15. Oh, my God. This one is not just a little girl, but with her mom. No, I would have ran so fast. I... (sighs) My goosebumps. I cannot do this. A mom and a kid and someone's... No. Yeah. Yeah. I am seeing you on sunrise. And even in sunrise, you have to be sleeping. Because, no, I am not dealing with... That's crazy. Oh, God. Okay, moving on. I've had my fair share of people coming in the ER because of a fight. But that one girl beaten by her violent boyfriend with a chair on her... Wait, let me just... Wait, wait a damn minute. I've had my fair share of people coming in the ER because of a fight. But that one girl beaten by her violent boyfriend with a chair on her back. And she's still referring to him as my boyfriend. Thinking about going back home to him. Well, that was sad and terrifying and wrong on so many levels hope she escaped okay this one is a little bit sad and a little bit like oh controversial and if again sorry i forgot to get a tmi for this because there are different shocking stories and if you have been if you have been a victim of abuse like 
verbal, physical, or anything like that. I am so sorry, and I hope you got out from that situation. And I hope you're getting help and therapy for that because it's not easy for a lot of people. But this very situation right here. So us nurses are we are trained to look out for this kind of things because when someone is abused, they usually tend to stay with the abuser, and they would never tell you that they are abused because they're, they're scared that they're going to be hurt more. So instead, us nurses look for cues cues things like let's say you try to touch the patient started flinching or they don't want to take off their clothes for examination or and they're accompanied by the boyfriend and they cannot be alone all of these signs are signs of abuse and it's different type of abuse once we see this kind of situation we get alerted and the best thing we do is we ask whoever is accompanying them if they're with someone to leave the room because of course we're we are never going to make it obvious that we are suspecting something because we want to make sure that the patient is safe the first first thing is to not react too much and not so much and don't make it obvious what you want to happen is to have the patient isolated with you so that you can in further investigate the situation. And once you have the patient, you offer things to them like support, like here's a calling number. This is a support for women who's experiencing this. If you choose to go back to him, which we don't recommend, we will give you resources. And these are the resources when you finally, let's say, decided to leave this situation. These are the people or community that you can run into. And it's really, really sad. But again, as nurses, we see this often and we really just have to be vigilant and be able to be there and help that person. And it's crazy. And I hope she really did escape. And I'm pretty sure she came back to him. Oh my God. This is so sad. All of us, I think, should watch like a video of how to know if someone is being abused by knowing the cues. Because sometimes you can be in public and you can see it to yourself. And the worst that you can do is not do anything. You have to act fast and be very, very mindful that again, you cannot show some type of like big reaction because this could lead to more problems for that person. You cannot force them to because it's their choice and they are still able to choose. But the most important thing is you do your part, which is like report it, do something about it, get their contacts or anything. And again, like I'm pulling this off of my memory from the classes I did for violence and abuse and all my training so I don't have the proper ways or the proper steps to do when you're in this situation but I really suggest for people to look it up it's just helpful it's like having a CPR training with you because in any case you can be there to help out next moving on mm -mm -mm. okay <laughs> Okay, this is so funny. Grandma, who was testing out the PureWick, told me how amazing of a device it was and that we should turn up the <laughs> suction. <laughs> she had not had sex partner in 20, 20 years. Oh my God, this is so funny. Oh God, she literally asked, you should turn up the suction. It feels good. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know how to react. A lot of times, patients don't have filter. They would just say what they feel, what they think without thinking about it. And you're just like left shock in there. And you're like, mm, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you you cannot laugh, of course, because you don't wanna you don't wanna invalidate their feelings or their what they're saying. But at the same time, sometimes you just cannot contain it. And I just have to quickly leave the room and either laugh, cry, and scream. Cause this is great. <laughs> 
Okay. I had a vaginal prolapse patient who needed to get it placed back in and then surgery later. Called the on-call gynecologist and he told me why I haven't shoved it in yet. <laughs> shove it in yet. He told me to lube up my entire hand, make a fist, and pound it in. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to do that on my shift. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shook. I am... <laughs> I'm speechless. I don't even know what to react in this. What are you guys going to do in this situation? I would not do that. That must have hurt. I mean, oh my God, you guys. Okay, next. Not necessarily something a patient told me, but I'm a psych nurse. Oh my God, anything psych? You already know this is going to be crazy. In Belgium, working in a closed psychiatric unit where patient gets put on psych holds. Once this patient repeatedly escaped to then three hours later, ring the front doorbell and ask if he could come back inside. We had no clue how he escaped until he showed us he was crawling the walls of the courtyard like Spider-Man in a corner until he reached the roof of the second floor and then walked until... He reached a, the first floor building and then jumped up. See? And a lot of people don't believe that patients do crawl in the damn ceiling. I don't know what about the ceiling, but some patient has the nerve and has the energy to actually open up the damn ceiling and crawl in there. That is so dangerous. And listen, again, like this is an experience I've had in my psych rotation where I had a patient. He was in a psych. Again, it was a it's called um, a close psych section because that's where like psych patient who is in a manic episode or who is in a really like severe case gets monitored. And I was put in there by my professor because she believes that I am capable after seeing like my first four weeks in the psych rotation. She's like, I'm moving you into the critical part. Because I think you can handle it yourself. I am the type of student who's going to be like, oh yeah, absolutely, put me in there. And that was the worst thing ever I did to myself because, like I said, I had this patient. I visited him in his room. The room is really empty. There's nothing. It's just walls because you cannot have everything. Otherwise, they will use anything they have to either hurt themselves or do something, okay? And then I came in to give his medication. I have this little device that I can click. So if the patient decided to attack me, I can just click that and... And security would come and i always have it in my hand just in case because i'm so scared okay because that part of the psych unit is very very crazy things happens in there anyway so like i came in with his medication and he told me i'm not gonna take that medication until you give me like a water or an orange juice and I was like, okay, no problem. So I'll come back with your water and your orange juice. And then when I came back to check on him, he's not there anymore. So I was like, oh, maybe he's peeing in the bathroom. So then I went to the bathroom. I was like, the patient's not here. And then one of the ceiling tile fell down. And I'm like, oh my God. I pressed that little device thing so quickly because I was like, I think my patient is in the ceiling. And people think... Because that time too, that hosp that same hospital was getting um, reconstructed. So they thought that the noise from the ceiling was the construction people, but it was actually the patient crawling. And you know where they found him? In the OR part of the hospital, which was on second floor or the first floor. And we were on the fifth floor. How did that patient get to the OR ceiling that quick. I don't know. It's crazy, but it's true, you guys. I swear. I don't know what kind of energy they have, what kind of caffeine they took because I need that kind of energy to do that, okay? <laughs> Next. Hey there, this little incident was recent. My patient's mom literally told me her son, who is in his 40s, isn't getting enough sex. <laughs> 
Meaning he's at least getting some. Okay, that's good. Then took a long pause. I literally went, pardon. <laughs> and I know you guys have been texting me. John, I have been using I beg your pardon to many different situations. It's the only word that I use now. <laughs> she just said to mention it to the doctor. Like, ma'am, I don't know what the nephrologist is going to do with that information, but we'll see what I can do. This is so funny. Like, sometimes patient or patient family ask you, like, hey, can you figure out how we can set up my dad's bank account? Like, can you ask the doctor how we can do that? Um, ma'am, your doctor is a cardiologist and they already don't answer enough phone calls. Do you really think... They would resolve this for you. And then that's going to trickle down to the nurse. And I have to figure it out because I'm the nurse. I should know how to fix that. <laughs> if you guys have seen my videos, you know that I have this video where like, oh, my toilet is blocked. Oh, yeah. I should know how to fix that. I'm the nurse. I could not imagine how like some patient would ask you those questions like you know the answer or the doctor would know the answer to your personal affairs. <laughs> okay, moving on. Man had a stroke and when he was extubated, instead of asking for water or something normal, he yelled, where is my wife? I am horny as... <laughs> Do you guys understand the things we go through and the things we hear, see, smell in a hospital? This is crazy. And you guys expect us to be jolly, happy when we get home? Like our partners expects us to be that. Our friends. And family. Oh my god, why are you always sad? Or like you just want to be on your own? Why are you always quiet? Why is your face so straight? Because you guys don't understand how many things we have to go to in a day. There are so many stuff. And I'm pretty sure like the general public, if they take a day just following us as a nurse, they would understand how hard it is to be one or just working in healthcare. The things you see, smell, hear will get you traumatized. One thing the hospital should be doing is giving us every week a therapy session with a therapist that goes into our unit, sit down with us in a break room, help us relieve and take out some stress, some trauma that we just experienced. And I think it would really help us to be more efficient and less stress and less burnout. How's that? How about we do a GoFundMe and start with one hospital and spread the word? A therapist every week for every single unit. How's that? And therapists would be happy too to be part of this whole thing. They can help us. We will help them. Even therapists, you know, go to traumatizing stuff. Imagine the things they hear from their patients. Oh my God. Next, I don't even know where to begin. I've been a step-down PCU ICU nurse for five years. I had a very sweet, innocent young CNA who looked devastated coming out of a patient room. He told me she made him feel uncomfortable. So being the mama-charged nurse, when she pushed her call light, she asked for the handsome young man. I told her no, that I was her nurse and he had other patients to be with. Well, this upsets her so much, she grabbed onto my bun, took me to the ground and started beating, beating you? Luckily, I shouted out and another male nurse grabbed her off of me. She then batted her eyelashes at him and said, why was he being so rough with her? He told her, you cannot beat up the nurses. She said she only wanted men. We told her that that's not an option. So another thing is harassment, physical, mental, sexual, and all is not only experienced by like female nurses, but usually it's a female nurses who experience it, but also male nurses from like older senior patient too. 
like I had this like sweet 87 year old lady who I had as a patient and whenever I come to her room she would tell me man your body's getting bigger it's just getting rounder <laughs> and sometimes I just don't know how to react to it I, the first two times I was like oh my god thank you I work I work out but every single time I come to her room she's like damn that's a big ass and you're <laughs> and I'm just like uh okay anyways next I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and have worked with kids who have been through trauma. Previously worked with kids in the foster care system. The stories I heard about the abuse their biological parents put them through is horrifying. I also distinctly remember a 17-year-old girl I met in the pediatric psych unit who was an alcoholic because her mother started giving her alcohol at the age of 7. So mom would have a drinking buddy, a 7-year-old, mm-mm. It is incredibly sad at times, but also the precious children's resilience is astounding, especially for their children. It's incredible how addressing adverse childhood experiences and trauma-informed care makes such a huge difference. Thanks for giving me a platform to be able to share this and the passion for the work I do. Much love and respect to you, brother. (sighs) Okay, it's really hard to be a nurse because the stories you hear is not just funny, sad, but sometimes it's just scary and traumatizing. Like, how can a mom do this to a kid? And I know, like, it's not just moms, even dads, but it's just in general parents. How can they do this to their young kids? And you wonder why kids are so fucked up these days. It's because of the parents. And I really do believe that is true that all the things you have right now as an adult is the result of how you were raised as a kid. And if you were raised in an abusive, alcoholic, addictive kind of family, that's where you're going to end up. And I'm not generalizing it, but a lot of cases is that, mostly in the hospital. And I know some people or some kids escape from that. But like, imagine being stuck on that kind of situation. Scary. Our best friend with this kind of case is social workers. Social workers would literally put their life and again social worker what's up i I just want to give a heads up and a clap and every praises to social worker because they go through the same crap as we go through as nurses and more because they have to deal with a lot of people and family drama and it's crazy because they're also underpaid, undervalued, and underappreciated, just like nurses and teacher. I actually did this TikTok of me, a nurse, a teacher, and a social worker together in a bar after a long, shitty shift. And honestly, that's the best video I've ever made because those three together, they're like triplets who were born but separated at birth, but they all have the same fate in life. Crap. and i'm so sorry that you have to go through this and you have to have this kind of cases and it's so hard and again as healthcare workers we are the only solution to end this kind of things for the poor souls really we are god sent honestly not just nurses but a lot of healthcare workers we are god sent and we are here to save kids adults teenagers everyone to this kind of situation next i'm a physical therapist assistant not a nurse but i work in a rehab center she had a really rough night prior to me working with her and we were outside when she became really distraught i asked her what was wrong and she said i almost died last night and i need someone to know and i was like okay 
And she told me, I need to tell someone the truth. My husband is not the father of my son, but they don't know. Oh, okay. This is giving L&D drama, but in the physical therapist part. And she told me, I need to tell someone the truth. My husband is not the father of my son, but they don't know. I can't carry that guilt when I die. I need to share it with someone. And I sat there speechless when I returned her back to her room. Both her husband and her son were waiting for her and I immediately wanted to run away. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shook. Oh my God. I would not. It's like, thank you for being honest and truthful to me. But ma'am, this is a big information you have given me. This is like an FBI information that should not be given to any... Like, how do you want me to act all good and then talk to your husband and your son when I have this kind of information in my head? And again, us healthcare professional, we can never say anything to anyone. This is confidential. But then leave with this trauma to yourself. And the thing about me is like when patients tell me some kind of crazy stuff... I take it with me until even in my bed. I'm, I keep thinking about it until I figure like what's going on. I am so sorry that you have to go through this and I don't know what to do. What are you guys going to do in this situation? Are you going to tell the dad and the son or are you going to just let it slide or what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Okay. My name is Brittany and I work in blank. I once had a man with alzheimer's and dementia tell me that he once fought my people in the war of the jungle in the vietnam war i'm chinese <laughs> this is so funny sorry guys i should not be laughing because it's a little racist but this happened to me once you guys so i was in this room of a family they're french Anyways, as you can see, I'm light-skinned. You can see I have some Chinese features in me, Filipino features. That's the mix of my family. So I had this patient and his family was in the room. The wife of the patient came to me and then tell me, Oh my God, so which part of China do you live? Because we went there two years ago. And I swear, sometimes I'm just like, Why do you guys think when we look Asian, we all came from China? Like, that's the only country you guys know. And I'm pretty sure they didn't want to be rude. But like, why is their first thing is always like, oh, so which part of Vietnam are you from? Like, can't you first ask where I am from? And then you can like ask me other questions regarding my ethnicity, where I'm from or things like that. Some people just don't know. Some people are just not very conscious of what or they're not thinking before they say something. And you're just like, uh... I'm not Chinese, ma'am, or I'm not from Vietnam. I'm not from Thailand. I'm Filipino. Okay, period. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so funny though. Next. I'm a student nurse in the UK and last year when out in a clinical placement block, I was looking after a lady in her late 70s after pelvic prolapse repair surgery. When I asked her how she was feeling after surgery, she said that she felt great because she now has a designer vagina. <laughs> This is so funny. I really didn't expect the answer of someone of her age and just burst out of laughing with the lady because of how shocked I was. It was really an I beg your pardon moment. I mean, she said, listen, I have a Gucci vagina. <laughs> I'm so dead. This is so funny. I cannot. Oh, God. Okay, next. 
Something a patient told me that shocked me. I had a patient who came into the ER with a terrible foot infection that had spread into their leg. While I was drawing their blood work, sepsis panel, of course, they told me they didn't want vaccinated blood. Okay, here we are. I was confused at first and told them that they wouldn't be vaccinated against their will and that we didn't give COVID vaccines at the hospitals anyways. They clarified for me. No, I don't want blood from someone who had the vaccine. This patient was probably septic from an infection so bad that they would end up having their leg amputated below the knee. And in that moment, they were worried about receiving a blood transfusion from someone who's had the COVID vaccine. I told them they had to discuss that with a doctor that was not an argument I was interested in having. And I completely understand if you're against vaccine, but as a healthcare worker, you should be taking the vaccine. Again, there's so many talks about vaccines, but I took the vaccines myself, okay? I believe in science. And I know some people don't, and that's completely your opinion. That's your point of view. But for me, this is my opinion. And people don't understand that sometimes in a life and death situation, you cannot be picky. It's either you die or you get what you need to survive, okay? And it's understandable if it's like, let's say it's a religious situation where like, let's say Jehovah's Witness, they cannot really do like blood transfusion or anything like that. And you they have to go through a series or a panel of like judgment before they actually get one, which I've seen before if it's literally like life or death. But in the case of this, where like people just don't want some a blood product from someone who was vaccinated, like they're going to get vaccinated too. Like, do you want your leg? Do you want to keep your leg or do you want to cut it right now? You decide. Honestly, you did the right thing. You call the doctor and let the doctor deal with it because you got way more things to be dealing over this. Next. We had a patient discharged in the afternoon and a couple hours after he left and then he called and he said he forgot something and wanted to come back and pick it up. We asked what it was so we could go find it and then bring it to the nursing station while the room was being cleaned. He said it was his gun. He forgot his gun. Guys, this is crazy. A gun? In the hospital to just have a serious situation in here. I think you guys have heard of that um, case in the United States where a shooter just went into the hospital and shoot like nurses. And that was crazy. I don't know how people can do that. Oh my God. A gun that he forgot and he brought it in the patient's room. And imagine that patient gets agitated or just dislike what's going on. Oh my God, no. I think they always have to do like a security check before admitting someone to a unit. Like, you know what they do in the airport? They pass all the people's um, things under a scanner before they go in. Because honestly, this is dangerous. This is crazy. I cannot do this. I am not picking up no gun. Hi, John. Here's a shocking story for you. Maybe not so shocking for us nurses, but here you go. I'm a hospice home health nurse and I was taking care of this patient who had stage 4 lung cancer, just like my grandpa. Visited his home almost every day. Really nice gentleman. So one day when I was visiting him, he did not look too good. I was taking his vitals and he whispered to me that he's ready to go. I asked him, did he tell his wife? And he said no. He told me he was waiting for his son to come back home tonight from the military and then he'll go. I was shocked in a way, but not really because most of my ho homebound hospice patient tells me when they're going. Anyway, after my visit, we talked for a little bit then left that night. 
I received a call from his wife and she said that their son just made it in time to say his goodbyes before he took his last breath. Uh, oh, somebody's getting emotional. This is very, very much the same as the situation with my grandpa. Because like I told you guys from the first, first episode, my grandpa woke up the day of my birthday to greet me happy birthday. And then two days after he died. And again, before even my birthday, he was really suffering. And I think we thought that he was really ready to go. But then he made it till my birthday to tell me happy birthday. Oh, we're not going to cry. Keep the composure. Yeah, oh, this is so sad. And it's always like, I have seen so many situations like that where patients really wait for that specific person, no matter what they're, they, no matter where they're coming from before they go. I think I've had this patient where her son is coming from Saudi Arabia or another country from the Middle East and she would not let go. She was suffering so much. But then the son arrived at the hospital and that same day she rest. And it's so crazy how they can do that. And it's just so sad. But at the same time, like you're like, wow. With the emotions that I have, with how I am as a person, I could never, ever do that. I would cry every time. And I think it's going to be traumatic and I'm going to need a lot of therapy. Next, working in a home care, I had a client who's completely has their mind that while I was cleaning their peri area, the downstairs for any, <laughs> the downstairs for anyone not in healthcare. So like, you know. It's probably the yeah the private area. After a messy BM, they look at the tattoos on my arms and said very loudly, I think that everyone with tattoos is going to hell. To which I look at them and said, I think it matters more if you are nice and kind to people instead of what's on your body. Mic drop. They didn't have much to say after that and were much nicer the next time. But it left me pretty speechless at that time. Listen, sometimes people have so much opinion over you and you're just like, I'm here to take care of you, okay? If you find that I have an ugly face, I have tattoos, I have a colored hair, I have this and that, and you have a problem with that, well, I think it's time for me to say bye-bye. Because listen, if you're going to judge me and I'm here to offer my help to you, then we should not be together, okay? Because I'm not judging you. I can judge you if I want to, but I'm not doing that. People needs to be nicer, okay? <laughs> so, lastly... A patient came in for STI testing and she broke down saying her husband cheated on her with her cousin. This is really giving L&D. She discovered them because she came home early and found them in bed. He then kicked her and, and their three kids out and asked her for the divorce. They had came to Las Vegas together and she had no family here except the cousin he cheated on her with. Oh my god. This is giving very much L&D. And I'm telling you right now, labor and delivery nurses, I know you guys are the type of people who loves to drink the tea you guys drink the tea like you guys love it because you guys have so i feel like i have to be friends with an lnd nurse and just sit down for a whole day drinking and they're gonna release all of that stories in no time and we can spend a whole day and they have every single stories for me this is crazy and again like sometimes you wonder and you're like what am i supposed to do with this as a nurse punch them for your or something <laughs> okay 
And we're gonna have to end this because I think this needs a part two. Don't you guys agree? I think we need some more shocking stories. Lastly, and we're gonna end it with this one. An elderly patient wouldn't sleep and kept pointing at the ceiling. Okay, another ghost story. We kept her on the Jerry chair by the nurse's station. We always do that. When patients don't sleep, we just keep them in front of the door in a Jerry chair that reclines so that they can just watch us. Sometimes they would fold linens or they would just sit there, watch you or eat or we give them like, I give them like pudding to just eat and put their phone on some news or some YouTube video so they can just watch there. She slowly inched her way near the room she kept pointing to. There was a language barrier so we called a nurse who spoke her language. The nurse translated, she wants us to call the doctors and help the man hanging from the ceiling. Oh! A man with terminal cancer unalived himself in that same room six months ago. No. Uh-uh. I... Oh, no. I would call a priest. Get that whole unit blessed. Because if that man who unalived himself is there and patient sees them that's some crazy ass ghost story and next thing you know somebody's getting exorcist oh, no uh-uh i am not even taking that patient's room no way and i would always be in the nursing station i would not pee in the bathroom i would keep hold my bladder till sunrise because baby that man is going to show up to you next thing like why didn't you help me absolutely not i cannot with this this is so crazy Ooh, oh my god you guys don't you guys love this kind of stories it this this is what keeps me awake this is like our conversation in the break room or outside of work and we're just reading stories that we either relate have not heard and will be experiencing. This is crazy. Wow, you guys. I hope you guys like this episode. And if you do, do me a quick favor. Make sure that you download episode one, two, three, and now four. And make sure to rate us five stars so we can keep our podcast on the chart. Because I want everyone to know what we go through in nursing and in healthcare people has to know this kind of podcast is what should be in the chart so other people who doesn't know anything about healthcare understand what we are going through do you know what i mean so do me a favor make sure you download all the episodes leave us a five star in apple and spotify and if you're listening to it in google and I love you, love you guys so much. Make sure to stay caffeinated, medicated, and hydrated. And I will see you in the next episode next week. I love you. Bye.